0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a Geek Explained Extra Series that has been called Innovative, never been done before, and that one Warner Brothers executive said, Who the fuck do they think they are? <laughs> this is Into the Snyderverse. I am your host, Eric Azana, and I am joined by my two fearless co hosts on our Odyssey through the DC Extended Universe. First, from the artistic liberties podcast i'm joined by andrew kincaid hello folks and we are also joined by featuring the uh stunning cinematographer slash director slash (laughs) creative mind of chris carter from the scripts and screams podcast gentlemen Uh... welcome how are we doing how we're doing good as
1: always how are you two I'm I'm excited. I love doing this, so I'm I'm hype. I actually this is gonna be the <laughs> highlight of my Tuesday evening to be honest with you guys. So it's not too bad. I'm excited. Well, I am excited as well because we have
0: moved past the introduction of the DCEU Man of Steel and Batman v Superman last episode that we hit on. Uh, two movies that I would say we had some thoughts on. And uh, some criticisms for Not a lot, just uh, just a couple here and there. Otherwise, perfect movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, this, and for this episode, we get to continue that train. Because we are going to be reviewing and dissecting 2016's Suicide Squad. Mm. Written and directed by David Ayer. Gentlemen, do you remember... Watching this film for the very first time, because I'll say I remember going to see this. I didn't see this at midnight, um, but I remember going to watch this film and not knowing how to feel about it when I stepped out. And I thought this was the first movie that I in the in these uh, group of movies that I that we're talking about here that I remember walking out of there going, I don't remember what happened in this movie. (laughs) and it was i mean it it was just like i got it's just a um uh sensory overload for like two hours and i walked out of there and i was like okay i i I remember will smith i remember harley quinn i remember captain boomerang and that's pretty much it from this movie uh andrew do you remember seeing this movie for the first time and how you felt about it
2: oh i can't not forget how my first time seeing this movie. It is one of the funniest experiences of my movie going uh, in my movie going life. I remember I promised, I promised my roommate that I would see this superhero movie with him because it was always uh, you and the rest of the gang that I would would try to go see these movies with. And this was the one that we thought was going to be really, really cool. It was finally going to be DC understanding their darker tones. And it was going to be just, it was going to be really great. And it was just going to be me And my buddy Jonathan and so we go in and the movie starts and it's Suicide Squad and that's really all I'm gonna talk about in the beginning is that it is just Suicide Squad and I'm just watching it just like ah the same level of crap I got the first two movies okay cool 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 cool. and I look out of the corner of my eye and my roommate is just stone face and he is just so disappointed (laughs) and he is so heartbroken and i remember just thinking oh he wasn't he wasn't prepared for that oh he didn't know that this was a major possibility that this was going to be another swing and a miss cuz baseball baseball uh, rules three strikes and you're out and so that was yeah that was my whole ordeal with the dc u- universe and that was the taste of wow this was your third third attempt and you missed again
0: so chris what was your first experience watching this film because again we have to talk about the fact that Chris is not as um, what's the word Um, indoctrinated to the uh, comic book knowledge that uh, Andrew and I are and so Chris comes to these kind of films from a different perspective than we do so tell tell us about your first experience watching this weird weird film
1: well it was man it was weird I actually like you guys I did not see it at midnight I I may have seen it at home, I think that Dustin had rented it. Shout out, Dustin! Um, and we just watched it. Uh, I think maybe it rented it. I don't think any of us saw it in the theater. It just didn't have that um, that type of appeal to me. And, and maybe it was that I didn't know a lot about it going in. Uh, you know, I knew that maybe Batman was in it. I knew that maybe the new Joker was in it. Um, I knew that Will Smith was in it and Margot Robbie was in it, and outside of that, I didn't know much of any of the characters, so I actually wrote that down when you were talking, uh, Eric, because I was unsaddled with any prior knowledge of Suicide Squad, so this Ooh, is my unsaddled. first... unsaddled, nice. nice. I know, shortage. right? Well, I, yeah, my journalism degree pays off again, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I didn't I have no idea who most of these characters are. I knew that deadshot reminded me of a, a knockoff of um deadpool kind of that's hilarious but, uh, you know and i kind of i kind of thought that rick flag was the dc's version of um oh, samuel jackson in the mcu help me Nick out Fury. Somebody. thank you i i, I still kind of think that's true but i could be wrong so for me the first time seeing it was just kind of an experience and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with, uh, with Andrew in this point, and I will wait to elaborate on that the further we kind of go down this rabbit hole that is Suicide Squad.
0: So I think when it comes to this film and you stack it up against like all of the other films in this uh, Snyderverse, whatever you want to call it, um, this is always the one that you can kind of pick out of a lineup and go, that's the weird one. And I think mm. part of that has to do with the troubled production. And I feel like this is, a, this is a term that we have heard before and we'll continue to hear as we go along in our married journey. But um, basically, when it comes to this film, I've got a little bit of research here when it comes to the production side of putting this film together. David Ayer was given six weeks to write the screenplay for this film. And it shows yeah Um, he was basically brought on six weeks before the intended start date for production and because they had a date they had a date that they wanted to hit they wanted it to be released on a certain uh day and so they said uh warner brothers was like we have to get this started here and they waited and waited until the 11th hour to bring in david ayer for this um when it comes to casting there were some interesting choices at first uh rick flagg who we will definitely get into especially uh chris later on um (laughs) was initially going to be played by tom hardy tom hardy was initially cast in the role as rick flag however as the production was getting ready to ramp up he left to go film revenant with uh leo dicaprio and i think personally that was probably a good choice um And then uh, the big kind of news for this film alongside certain characters who had never gotten a live-action adaptation before was that this film was going to be the debut of the DCEU version of The Joker. And there was a lot of talk back and forth on who should they cast, a lot of names were thrown out, and at one point the final two that were up for the role were Ryan Gosling, and the man who ended up taking the role, Jared Leto. Do either of you remember the news, how you felt about the casting of Jared Leto when it was announced? I do.
2: I mean, it was fresh off his win from, uh, what's that movie? Dallas
0: Buyers Club?
2: Dallas Yes, Dallas Buyers Club. He won the Oscar for that.
1: Which he was incredible in, by the way. Mm-hmm. I saw Fantastic. That. I, unrecognizable, completely deserving of that award. Sorry, Anna, I, I don't want to cut you off, but he was incredible in that.
2: No, I completely agree with you. You're absolutely right. Like that is an a stellar A plus performance. And so I think that coming off of that, I had a lot of high hopes for it. And I had a, and I remember seeing like him cutting his super long Jesus hair and like it fitting into more of like the sort of closer to like what is it uh the scott snyder uh like Greg justice lee great capullo oh joker and i was just like all right this is gonna be really really good and then that first image came out and like <laughs> boy boy was i just like Phew. i mean i guess it makes sense all these tattoos the grill a certain point of view in a certain way, like in a certain light, I really had to kind of sell myself, self, of just like, all right, this is clearly somebody who likes pain and who likes to sit there and take pain and is willing to get all of this body art, if we can call it that, onto him. So I will you can call it that. I will sit want. there and I will take this very, very bold take take on the Joker. And in a way, now that I think about it, it's still could have been okay with a better script. And if he didn't have Heath Ledger to follow, I think also mm. it could have been pretty okay. Like, that's the biggest thing is that, you know, eight years later and we all had Heath Ledger in our heads every time we saw him.
0: Yeah, it's true. There's there's a lot of pressure, I think, that came from that. And I think him trying to distance himself from that adaptation was probably... probably one of many determining factors into this interpretation of the Joker. Um, He had all these weird tattoos, some very on-the-nose. Like, I just, I will never in a million years be able to get over the damaged Damaged. tattoo on his forehead. I still, I can't. I can't. The the stock in that version of the Joker goes up a million points if you just take that forehead tattoo off for me.
1: But that was see my my problem with that, and I absolutely agree with everything you guys are saying, but again, I will always fall back on the writing. That was David Ayers' choice. I mean, mm-hmm. He didn't he didn't go to Jared Leto and say, This is the Joker come on to set day one with what you have in mind for that that was his direction and creative choices of that joker i mean i'm sure leto kind of leaned into it i think you guys especially being the the actors of of our of our tripod i'm sure you've heard of the stories that he did the method acting that he did to try and create people definitely want to talk about that well, so, yeah. can, so what do you guys think about that? Like, is that something that re- you'd be receptive to? Because a lot of people weren't from the reports that I had heard.
0: So the thing about Jared Leto is that he, um, he like I think anyone who would be stepping into the role in a modern context when it comes to the Joker, um, would look at a role like that, just being from my perspective, as I need to get into the mind of this psychopath. And there's some specific ways that you can do that, certain methods um, that you can take when you're trying to get into those shoes. Um, Heath Ledger famously, as we know, spent, I think it was upwards of like two or three months in three months in isolation, um, in a hotel room, not going anywhere, not leaving, just trying to get into that mindset. Uh, Jack Nicholson has said in different interviews that he was changed in some way by playing that character and his was so tame when it when you compare it to the other two um and for this uh for this specific character and this specific version of the character i think jared leto was very well equipped to play a more psychotic um unhinged version of that character especially with all of the great acting that he's done in the past he is a phenomenal actor when he wants to be and he's he's done so many good uh, so done so much good when it comes to his roles bringing something new to characters that we may have heard before or made it had a preconceived notion with when it came to his method for this and i think um andrew might be able to have a better perspective on this because he knows a little bit more about method acting than i do um But the reports that he would send, you know, dead, uh, dead rats and a dead pig to dead carcasses to his castmates, and he wouldn't uh, break character when he was on set. Will Smith famously said at the premiere that he never met Jared Leto; he only met he only met his Joker because he never broke character during that uh, during the entirety of that filming. Uh, Also, the just the disgusting things that he would do and say to margot roby as harley quinn um it's just it's it's a step too far and i am a person who i like to see someone bring something new to a comic book character i like when they really throw their soul into it but this was too much for me
2: i completely agree with you and to Going to the point, it always kind of bothers me when like stunts like this are taken into the light of method acting because it's not what that is. Like I completely understand getting into a character and I completely understand creating an atmosphere and creating a persona to your other cast members to react to, which I do think must have been accomplished, especially with how little screen time he had with everybody else. I think it must have felt like, oh, this is definitely... A Demonic and outside force because he's sending us used condoms and anal beads.
1: Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. Did he really? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh,
2: to Margot Robbie
1: oh, No, yep a,
2: uh... And actual method acting is so like it is so more artistic and so much more meaningful in that you are actually breaking down your script You're breaking down your part. You're asking yourself tough questions of how do I react when I am this person and? Like, I mean, it works for Daniel Day-Lewis because he, you know, gets to be Abraham Lincoln for 24 hours. But that's kind of easy because you're not going to look at your cell phone and you're just going to be sitting there quiet. But when you have this giant and insane personality that it was kind of clear that David Ayer couldn't rein back and couldn't be like, hey, you're kind of scaring the lunch ladies. Can you not do this? <laughs> this? This is a little weird, man. And like, can you? OK, you're, you're going to ride on the floor now. Cool cool, 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 dude, it, it just, it just annoys me because like this actual great form of artistic expression is just, it's, it's just ruined by this, this kind of mediocrity and this kind of just grab for attention. And that's all it kind of really feels like when I hear stories like this.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. absolutely agree. And it's something that I think didn't, for me at least, enhance the viewing experience when it came to his character. And that might have to do with the fact that most of his, from what we understand uh, and what's been said in interviews and stuff, most of his footage of the film has been cut. And we've heard, you know, there's an air cut, there's all of these different things. Um, but part of those cuts were uh, due to the heavy reshoots that they did for this film normally and i mean we can talk about um different analytics with chris he's he's our designated number guy um (laughs) but typically when it comes to films like this reshoots will cost anywhere from like five to ten million dollars depending on what they have to get done what they're going for and how costly the reshoots are going to be the reshoots for this film were 22 million dollars worth and most of that was due to the insanely positive reaction to the initial trailer. The trailer was fantastic. I can't... The movie that is in the trailer is so um, addictive. And, like, I re-watched the trailer again today, and I was like, God, I'm I'm hyped to see this movie. And the thing about this trailer is that it's... It, it's a trailer, and it's not a full film.
2: Now, is that the Bohemian Rhapsody trailer or the yes. very first, like, San Diego Comic-Con trailer that they release? Because that first one gets me every single time.
0: See, in the San Diego Comic-Con one, because that one has the um, uh, the I Started a Joke one, right? The really quiet, yes. Um, I was referring to the Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody one, but that is a really good point about the... Um, About the uh, Quiet, the I Started a Joke one. Because I remember, actually, us at um, Flycatcher, the night that that got leaked from SDCC. We were all grabbing drinks, and we were, like, huddled around my phone trying to watch this grainy footage of whoever leaked it. And it looked amazing and then as the trailers went on they really got you hyped for this film and unfortunately the hype around those trailers had a negative impact on the film itself because warner brothers saw the initial cut of the film they saw the positive reaction of the trailers and said we're going to take the editing company from the trailers and have them re-edit the film and that is what spurred on the $22 million of reshoots, and it turned the film essentially into one gigantic music video. And I have to say, just as a blanket statement, the soundtrack slaps. It's really good. I'm a big fan of a lot of the music on there. Um, It's not everybody's cup of tea. Andrew's making a face. But But I think for what they were trying to sell, and the fact that this... Uh, the soundtrack was, I can only assume, before all of these heavy reshoots. It does a good job of communicating the tone that the film is trying to accomplish. Um... Alongside that, accomplishing this film is the cast and the characters. We talked a little bit about uh, Jared Leto's Joker, the fact that he didn't really need to go as far as he did for the little amount of screen time that he got. But the thing that kind of struck me in this is that the cast is really good, like just on a... On paper, looking at them, you've got Viola Davis, you've got Will Smith, you've got Chris's favorite actor, Joel Kinneman, you have <laughs> Margot Robbie, um All of these great actors that are in here and they are having to work with the worst material. Um, do you guys have any highlights, any standouts when it comes to the cast?
2: For me, it's always amazing because the only thing that really impressed me about this movie is Viola Davis can just not put it in a bad performance. (laughs) She is like terrible dialogue in a terrible story for a terrible movie. And it's still like at the very like it's it's not bad. Like her whole stuff. I'm just like, yeah, that's Amanda Waller. That's exactly who you are right now. Like you're knocking it out of the park because you're Viola Davis. That's all I got.
1: Everyone else is okay. I, I, uh, so on my second watch, because I only think I had seen it once prior to this. So on my second watch, um, t- uh, two actors, well, outside of Viola Davis, because you're right, she's she shouldn't have taken this role, but whatever, she's way too good. It, for this it, film. it was
0: between her and Oprah, believe it or not.
1: What I did can not, can you know imagine that. Oprah,
0: Oprah as Amanda yeah. Waller delivering the lines that she had in this film?
2: See. I can't no. imagine anybody else in that part except for Viola Davis. Like no but, one else has the gravitas that for that role.
1: No, but, it, but it it is. I think that that's great when you when you can identify an actor and then think to yourself like there's the story where Indiana Jones was going to be um, Tom Selleck. To mm. think of Indiana Jones in Tom as Tom Selleck or, or Tom Selleck, that's Hell just fucking mind-boggling, right? Jones. Because it's so you know Harrison Ford is so perfect for that. Um but the the actors that came that really jumped off the screen for me were uh, were Will Smith, who's incredible, right? I, you know, Big Willie's been around for a long time, Aha. and uh, you know it's funny. He's um his dialogue is is so hit and miss, and uh, and I think he him and Ayer worked together in Bright years later, maybe mm-hmm. even like one or two years later. Um, and Chris. They, they 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 make him want <laughs> They make him a little too like ghetto and gangster at some points, but his comedy. His timing really kind of lands in some of the points, and he has. For me, he's. He, I really enjoy Will Smith in the film, and then Margot Robbie, and I've I've been a fan for hers for I forever, and and so she's watching fantastic. her in this, she's so unhinged, but she does it perfectly. Jessica and I watched this um, two I think, two nights ago, and she really just kind of dominates the screen with her presence, and it is it is it is a weird presence, but it's, but I, I don't think that's. A knock against a character. I think that's maybe what Ayer The one thing that Ayer did right might be Margot Robbie's personification, and that's. I'm sure that's maybe her taking whatever he wrote and funneling into that role too, because she's fantastic. And and you guys know how I feel about Gal Gadot, and so mm-hmm. will everybody else here. Soon enough, I I honestly feel like Margot Robbie is 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 the best, maybe the best actor that the DCEU has in its current roster. You know, because they killed off Russell Crowe and Michael Shannon, but whatever. That's so. Fair. Uh, I
0: think for, I think for me, um, Will Smith is absolutely a standout. Every every scene, your eyes just kind of gravitate towards him, um, and that's just that you chalk that up to Will Smith and just being Will Smith. Um, really I've is. talked about it before on the podcast, um, on the Made podcast, but Andrew ruined this movie for me very early on after i think it was the second trailer because he he told me he was like i can't watch that trailer and i was like why and he said because after every single line that will smith says i just picture him going ha ha and it's it's that classic like that classic will smith laugh that he would add into all of his songs you listen to getting jiggy with it you listen to uh, men in black um so every line it's just like so what are we, some kind of suicide squad? Ha ha. And it's like every time now, like it would just, it makes me laugh. Um, he does get that killer line, that killer line that you got to point at the, you got to do that, uh, that Leonardo DiCaprio mean where he's pointing at the screen. He's like, oh, he said the line. He said it. He said it. He said the title of the movie. Um He's great. Like you already said, Margot Robbie is fantastic in this role. Um, the first time I was uh, introduced to her was during uh, Wolf of Wall Street, where, of she, where immediately it was like she already kind of had that Harley Quinn accent in that Movie, And I was like, okay, I could see that. And then since then, uh, Harley Quinn kind of catapulted her into superstardom. And she's just been every single movie that she appears in, she knocks it out of the park. Uh, We talked about Viola Davis, but there's one actor that I want to spotlight here. One actor that I think absolutely knocks everything he's given out of the park here. And that is Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang. I love captain boomerang in this film guys and i will not apologize for it because he is the best character in the entire film his introduction to the team is him fighting his way out of a body bag and then punching someone as soon as he gets out immediately when i saw that i thought to myself that's a star and (laughs) and i've seen Jai courtney in some terrible stuff both Before that and since then. Um, Terminator, which one was it? Genesis? The one, the reboot. Yeah, Genesis, he was terrible in. The Die Hard. I think it was Die Hard with a Vengeance, Good Day to Die Hard, one of those.
2: It's Die Die Hard 5. I know
0: it's Whichever, Whichever weird title they gave to that, he was terrible in. And I realized something. It's because everyone looks at Jai Courtney and they think, oh, he's a leading man type. No. This man is a character actor and he shows it in this film. He is by far, for me, my favorite performance. He's so fun to watch because at every single scene, he is always doing something. That is the mark. That is what I look for when it comes to like theater shows. I always look for what's going on with the other actors on the stage. And that's something that I, when I was doing theater in college, that's something I prided myself on was trying to pull attention because i i'm a terrible person um but <laughs> but um i just thought he was fantastic and i really really enjoyed him in this film there is one actor that we didn't talk about who i think accomplished a lot more in this film with his uh characterization of the role he was playing than in the film prior to this and that's Ben Affleck as Batman Batman does show up in this film and he feels like a completely different character he feels like a completely different Batman in the way that he's treated when it comes to the scenes, to the other characters he interacts with. Andrew, how did you feel about Batman's um, appearance in this and how it, if it, to you, juxtaposed with what his performance was in uh, BVS?
2: Well, a very quick funny story. I was, this goes back again to where I first saw it with uh, my roommate, my old roommate, Jonathan. And Shout out to him. Shout out to him. Uh, JF Massage. Uh, he when we when we were going into the movie we outs we said out loud to each other or all right the one thing that is going to make this movie okay with us is that i hope it's more suicide squad than it is batman and joker and then we left the movie going man i would have been really happy for more batman and joker and way less suicide squad <laughs> and like that was kind of and that was kind of the funny thing is like rewatching it i was going you know you got two lines in this man and You really sell it. You really are. You're such a scary kind of force as Batman. And when I was seeing Jared Leto going in with that Lamborghini and him on top of it and his cape billowing in in the wind, I was just like, man, that's such a dope Batman scene. (laughs) Oh, that would have been great for a movie. We should have. We should have just saw this movie. We should have just saw a Batman movie. Hey, I get it now. I really get it. I just came for (laughs) Batman and
0: dang it. Yeah, I I think this Batman, I think, is really strange because um, you see him and it's almost like in the world that BVS sets up when it comes to Ben Affleck's Batman, we talked about how brutal he was last episode. And there is not, in my mind, a shadow of a doubt that in this universe with the bvs ben affleck batman he would have killed the joker a very long time ago he would have branded the shit out of harley quinn he would have snapped the neck of deadshot all of these like terrible things that he does to just random basic criminals in bvs all of a sudden you have to kind of change gears in this movie and say oh no these characters have been around just as long as he have and you know he's He's just let him live the whole time. And that for me feels really weird because, like, he saves Harley from drowning. He, when he shows up to confront Deadshot in the alleyway, he's like, I don't want to do this in front of your daughter. He's trying, it's very Batman, very Batman. And it's so strange to me because it feels like a completely different adaptation. Like, and this is very clearly supposed to be after the events of BVS. And it just it feels like there's this weird disconnect. Now, Chris, when you talk about like continuity from movie to movie with certain characters having to have a through line in the writing, do you think there's some kind of like I don't know, like cognitive dissonance when it comes to that? How would how do you think as someone who has written characters across um across different projects, how do you how do you feel about that?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think it's important. Um from from everything you guys mentioned I think because at this point they were full into building their universe right they have to show growth and the progression of these characters and I think that's a really good way of doing it I think that and you're right Andrew the introduction we get of from Batman on the purple Lamborghini it's it, it's wonderful you know and, it, and it's great for Harley the Joker and Batman like not one of those three but all of those three and I love the point you made too, Eric, about not in front of your daughter. I think that's such a big change. It makes him a decent guy, a decent person, and 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 the shift that we have from BVS. And I also feel like there's a lot of cinematic things that are different. The color scheme is different. It feels, and and I think that's part of the issue I have with this film is that it's so different from. The palette and the scheme that DC started with but that's a whole nother conversation as far as Batman's growth from BVS to this I think it's great I think this kind of puts us in the mindset of, of Bruce Wayne going into Justice League I think and then we get that end credit scene and, and you know I think that really shows a progression of that character within this universe so it's, it's hard to fault the writing and even Ben Affleck's performance because he only gets like seven lines but still.
0: <laughs> but he delivers them so well and he punches a woman he, don't forget that but he doesn't kick a child and that's really where we draw the line here that's right. so what i think andrew made a really good point here because we are we are not here to talk about that man unfortunately as good as he was in this film uh this is a suicide squad movie and the thing about it that just tickles me every time i've watched this film is the initial pitch for um for the suicide squad from the uh the suits to basically you know the united states government of like we gotta get money we gotta get funds for this task force mm-hmm. x delivered wonderfully by our own sheriff hopper from uh, stranger things yeah uh,
1: looking trim too looking trim looking very you know, trim and yeah. clean shaven
0: I forgot he was in this movie. (laughs) I didn't realize the first two times I saw this movie. That's the dude from stranger things. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, that is him. Um, but he gives this speech. Yeah. He gives this speech where he's like, what if Superman came to the white house and ripped off the roof and kidnapped the president? What would we do? And I thought to myself, not contact the suicide squad. They are not equipped to fight Superman. Look at the people. Let's do a quick rundown of the squad that is assembled in this movie. We have Slipknot, the man who can climb anything. We have Harley Quinn, psychotic sidekick. We have Captain Boomerang. I'm going to set him aside because he's unstoppable. Um, we have Diablo, who actually is a metahuman and, you know, controls fire. He's pyrokinetic. Uh, we have Deadshot, who is the world's greatest marksman. I get that. Um, we have Killer Croc, who would just be absolutely useless against Superman because he is only from what we can tell from this movie, a little bit stronger than a normal guy and can only swim a little bit better than normal um, marines, apparently. We have uh, Katana, who is a badass with what she is given, and her sword traps the souls of its victims in the laziest character intro in this entire movie. She hops onto the plane and... Chris's favorite actor, Joel Kinnaman delivers this line where he's just like, I would not advise getting killed by her. This is Katana. Her sword traps the souls of its victims. Vill- of its victims. So you want to make sure she's with me? And I'm like, what? You gave dedicated flashbacks for everybody, but we just get, oh, hey, this is who she is. This is what she do. And I just thought that was ridiculous. The only person, literally the only person who is on a mechanical level equipped to face down Superman is the Enchantress. And I want to talk about the Enchantress. She's got magic, which Superman is weak to, but immediately she becomes the villain of this movie. Now, we've heard different things from different sources that the Enchantress was not the original villain of this movie or if, uh, or if she was, she wasn't the main villain. How do you guys feel about Enchantress as a villain and what she kind of brings to the movie being played just perfectly by Cara Delavine?
2: That's her name. God, she's so like,
0: un, like she's
2: so forgettable. I couldn't remember what her name is. <laughs> um, I, you know, like it's one of those things where you're absolutely right. Like, I loved what you said before on that this team and there's not a single one of these people who could fight a high level character like Superman is like he, he's it, he's almost a god. And you're putting like toy soldiers against that. Like, that's just the not a man fair.
0: who can climb anything.
2: Yeah. And like this, this is your this is your task force X. This is who you're putting like these dangerous missions against. Like, come on. Like, you couldn't get anybody else else and like seeing her it's really kind of apparent that this was kind of david Ayer's first time writing a super or something more more uh fantastic and a little bit more in the fantasy area because you really get these moments of just like wow this is really weird (laughs) and this is a really weird part to this movie and like i I don't know if she has a bad job. She just does what she's supposed to do and she does it pretty well. Like they asked her to dance around and flare her arms around while she moves step by step and she does it. And like that scene where she puts her hand on the table and then it flips over is probably still one of my favorite moments in this entire movie.
0: It's visually stunning. She's very visually appealing and not just in like, Oh, she's an attractive lady, but like, visually when it comes to the effects utilized with her i think is really really cool
2: yeah i think though that with a hindsight joker should have been the villain agreed
0: chris how did you feel about the enchantress
1: ah you know this is me coming from again unsaddled with prior knowledge of 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 anything when it comes to that so it feels like a weak main villain to me it feels like a non-fleshed out big bad which I think it's the worst scene you can have with the library of, of villains that you can pull from. And I think that's a big miss. I think that the way that she recruits her brother, she just flashes in it and it feels cheap. Like it Mm -hmm. feels like I'm just going to flip in, flip out. And then there's our big bad. And so to (laughs) me, it, you said it, one of you two said it last time, it's, it's, you have to earn this. And I don't think that, that the story earned it. You know I mean? If you're reading the script within the first 20 pages, outside of the first 20 minutes p- of exposition we have with all the characters and the music and this, that, and the other. But when you get to the story, it does it happens almost immediately, and it just doesn't feel satisfying. And it's not interesting. That's, that's the other part about it. I wasn't vested in, in, in the brother and her, and then we have, you know, her and Rick Flagg's romantic involvement. No chemistry. Have, no chemistry.
0: No chemistry whatsoever. I was whatsoever. literally
1: going to say, like a rock. I've mm-hmm. seen rocks have better chemistry <laughs> that, than these two people. It's like, I just didn't fucking care. And 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 I think that's part of the problem getting off track, but kind of in a way, not when you have an ensemble cast, you have to, you have to have your anchor. Right. And mm-hmm. so for me, my anchor was Will Smith and, and, and Margot, So Harley and, De- and, uh, and, um, Deadshot. And I found myself when they're on camera, it, enjoying the film, um, but as soon as these other elements came in, and especially the romantic part with Rick Flag and Enchantress, who was an Enchantress? I mean, she she, she was, but she wasn't right. Right to me, I just it just it was cheap and it wasn't interesting, and and I just I, I really hated it. I, I got to go with with Andrew, and I'm sure Eric, you have a, probably a better opinion of who would be the better big bad for this film. But to choose this villain and to have that type of storyline to offset these great actors and, 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 and sometimes decent performances is really a big miss, really a big miss for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think for, for me, like, the Enchantress can be a really interesting villain. But the treatment that she gets here, kind of saddling her with this romantic subplot, it also diminishes Rick Flagg as a character because Rick Flagg's a badass, in the comics. And Rick Flagg for most of this movie is basically a device to they they turn the first or I guess the second third of the movie into this weird like keep away game with Rick Flagg because they're trying to save him from Enchantress's army of putties. Um, and they just, like they they literally are. They're like a mix of putties from Power Rangers and clickers from the last from the last of us if you put them together that's this villain so faceless they
2: are faceless yes.
0: villains. and it's just like it's this weird um it's this weird thing that again just like you said like that they, they don't earn making her the main villain i think like andrew said the joker there was um a previous uh edit of the script where the joker was manipulating the enchantress so that he was the main villain which i think would have made a whole lot more sense. And for the crew that you assembled it would make a lot more sense that, oh yeah, maybe they could take the Joker. They couldn't take Superman. They could barely take the Enchantress here. Um, I will say there is one thing that I want to point out because I loved this and I didn't catch this any of the previous times watching this film in that opening scene that Andrew referenced where we see uh, Enchantress for the first time. She does that cool hand reveal thing where she turns from June Moon into the Enchantress. I love this so much because if you look out into this room while they're giving this presentation basically it's all these you know old white guys and then there's amanda waller and then there's uh rick flag and june moon and you look out and then june moon does the flip over to enchantress and as soon as they do that they cut to this random mexican lady who does you know the cross she's like ideas mio and they cut back away and then when they do a wide shot of the room again she's gone she was never in the room and she was only there for that one shot and i had to pause the movie i was laughing so hard they literally (laughs) only brought in this sweet mexican woman to do this completely hackneyed and unnecessary cutaway just to i guess sell how mystic and and you know creepy that the enchantress is and it just it doesn't it doesn't work Like you guys said, I think there are a collection of different good things in this movie. Um, Do you guys have any like favorite moments, any favorite scenes in this movie? I know it's a tough ask for a film like this, but I think (laughs) there are some highlights.
2: Yeah, I would definitely agree with Chris in that when Will Smith gets to be Will Smith, he does a really great job as this part. And like it's, it's a lot of fun because Will Smith is just a fun time no matter what. And like, that's just been proven to me over and over again, is that maybe we'll get like a really touching or really deep moment or a few moments out of him, depending on the movie. But he's going to be a fun time no matter what. Um, God, there's like, there's not a whole lot that I can really say that I particularly enjoyed, to be honest with you, like, because <laughs> it's it, it, it feels like it, it's like in horseshoes and you take that shot where it gets so close that you almost get a point in that this movie felt like it really could have been something pretty good and could have really fit the narrative of darker stories that they were going for. Especially when you're doing a story about supervillains, I would hope there's going to be darkness. But I guess also, like, before I knew about all the disgusting stuff he, uh, Jared Lowe was doing, like, I rewatched, like, this time around, like, kind of tr- pushing all that out of my head. And I was just thinking, you know... It's weird, but I'm still here for it. And I could have enjoyed more if, like there was always that, like Jared Lowe had said that we filmed so much of my stuff as the Joker that you could have a Joker movie. So there's a bunch of material out there with his stuff that you could have that could have been really good. And like all the stuff from, I liked Margot Robbie's stuff, like uh, everything that, uh, Chris said is absolutely correct I love that scene where she's falling into the vat and like that color palette and those sort of paints kind of come up I don't know why they don't explain it and it makes no sense but it's kind <laughs> of just it's kind of visually appeasing and like that kind of sums up the movie entirely is that it looks really good like it looks downer it looks dark and it looks and it all works together. I really don't like that there's a skybeam in this movie where there where this is a movie that doesn't need a
0: skybeam. The classic skybeam. We've seen it in Avengers and every single movie since then. Exactly. <laughs> it really feels like that's
2: what they kind of asked him to do, just like just give us like a villain Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy and we'll be happy. And David and David Ayer had no idea what to do when we could have gotten a really great David Ayer movie out of it yeah it's it's an, another movie that gets clo- that could have gotten really close to scoring a point and it just misses its mark
0: absolutely agree chris do you have any favorite moments or any favorite scenes in the film
1: yeah i there's a couple but i mean it's it's there's only a couple too and they are they mo they, they, they mostly revolve around uh uh margot and uh and will smith and i think that you know, a, a good one for me was uh, in specifics is after uh, Margot Robbie believes that um, I think the Joker's helicopter, the Joker's helicopter, was destroyed, and she has a moment in all the craziness where she's remorseful, she's sad, and like it's an interesting break from her kind of crazy, and we kind of see it. And then, you know, the other dudes come up, and she kind of wipes it away and says, you know, "Hey guys," type of thing, and she kind of goes back into it. And I it back think on. That's a back yeah. really yeah it's a really cool separation and growth um from what we see and then the character and and there's you know that 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 roundness to it and i just i think that was she did such a good job on that and watching it again yeah and watching it again i i just couldn't every time she was on screen it was interesting the same thing with will smith some their little quips I, the dialogue was just so bad. Like when like when <laughs> Deadshot goes up and, and after Waller shot those people and he goes up there and says, that was gangster. I'm like, D- no, <laughs> you don't have to say fucking anything. <laughs> that takes away from what happened. Like yeah, you saying that cheapens that. Like don't fucking say anything. And it's just there are points like that. Um You know, the, the first 20 minutes of it is all character introductions and you've got a really kick-ass soundtrack. I'll, I'll give you that, Eric. Mm. I mean, I absolutely agree with you. Some of the music... During that, during that is um, is really cool, but it kind of feels like a music video. I mean, Baby Driver nailed it, right? Baby yes. Driver was 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 great. A plus in the way that this twenty minutes of Suicide Squad was not great, and so that to me was uh, it, 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 Jessica said it. She's like, yeah, Eric's right. This is kind of like a music video, and I'm like, yeah, you're <laughs> right. For the first twenty minutes, we get about a five minute story. And then into into the music video, I didn't like Harley. We're talking about things we like now. I really liked Harley, and I really liked Deadshot. And that's kind of, everything else around it kind of sucked for me.
0: Got it. Well, I have a couple scenes that I really enjoyed. I mean, I already talked about the incredible um, Mexican lady scene with the Enchantress (laughs) that I think is just Oscar-worthy in itself. Um, But I agree with you. like Margot Robbie and Will Smith... Steal pretty much every scene that they're in. I love the uh, the gun scene with Deadshot, where they bring him to fun. all these yeah. guns, and the one guard who has just treated him like shit the whole time is like, "I have objections to this, and I don't like him getting guns." And Will, or sorry, Deadshot, uh, grabs the gun and immediately just points at him and is like, "This is exactly what I was talking about." <laughs> and then he, you know, they they play this great little exchange between him and Waller, and Waller's like, "You think I would actually give you a real gun?" And, well, and uh, Deadshot's just like, no, I, you definitely wouldn't. And he points it up, bam! There's an actual, gu- actual bullet in there, and even Deadshot's just like, whoa, what? You gave me a gun, and he, you see this like almost childish glee with him because immediately he just starts jumping into the different guns, using them against the targets, hitting bullseyes every single time. It's a really nice character moment and a really good. Well, um, and,
1: and cue Kanye West. Yeah, Kanye West in that con- moment too. Cue yeah, the that's... Kanye. Yeah, so. Um,
0: it's, it's just really well done. And the relationship between him and Amanda Waller is really well set in that scene as well. Um, right after he finishes the guns, he kind of turns to Rick Flag. He's like, I want this, I want this, I want this, and I want this. And Rick Flag's like, I'm not giving you any of that. He's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. You thought I was talking to you. No, I was talking to your boss. And it's just, it's Will Smith knowing how to sell really bad dialogue. He can immediately just make it Will Smith dialogue, and he sells it really well. Um, I also really liked the general scene of bringing the squad together when everyone is you know handpicked from their cells and you know they're injected with the bombs in their necks they're like having to be strapped down um when they're all wheeled out they get their gear back the introduction of the best character in the movie captain boomerang um just it's a really well paced scene um and then finally the the bar scene i really enjoy the kind of like the third act break with the bar scene where everybody's kind of taking a second to sit down. Um, there's a great moment with Diablo where, like, he explains yeah, that he used yeah. his powers. He got a little mad one night and he killed his wife and his kids. And Margot Robbie does this really great job of grounding Harley Quinn, even though, like, like you guys it. said. I love that part. Yeah, she's I just like, that own that shit. Own and I, mm-hmm. she's really... Good at being able to play up the extravagance and the really manic parts of Harley, and also grounding her in this very personal, emotional way. And I love that. There's a, there's a moment later on when like the Enchantress is like showing them all of like, oh look what I can do for you, and all this stuff. And uh, Harley gets this vision of her having the the nuclear family life, where it's like her and the Joker, uh, Sans green hair and makeup, and they've got two kids. And there's this great moment like after they kind of flash to actual harley and there's this almost like defeated like he married me and it's like it's just layers that they're able to put onto this and i really enjoyed that um any scene with captain boomerang is fantastic the bar scene has a great little gag where uh rick flag comes in and he kind of shuts off the thing and he's like you're free to go you know i'm not going to stop you and boomerang just immediately grabs his shit and he runs (laughs) away i loved it i love it so much Um, But overall, the film really does suffer from, I think for me, two big things or three big things if you want to count the god awful script. So if the three things that I could kind of boil it down to is bad script, weak motivations, sloppy editing nothing feels like it flows nothing feels like it uh goes from one scene to the next it's just cut here cut here cut here uh chris as someone who has edited and spent many hours editing things for (laughs) multiple projects um how did you feel about the editing when it came to this and how do you do you personally how do you think they could have improved when it came to the editing side
1: i think it was um it was meant to be uh fast and fun i would say i think they probably sat and said i mean you nailed it we want it to be like our trailer a trailer is meant to get people excited for a movie you don't (laughs) sustain a film for 90 minutes in trailerville it just doesn't work that way Mm -hmm. and so i think that's a big part of it i think that the editing needed to be paced out a little bit better um and I think that's why, for me, I don't care so much about the characters because we have these vignettes of yeah, like Diablo's. And I'm glad you said that because the, the three parts you mentioned are actually my probably my three favorite parts in the film. When Diablo is talking and he has his, his story, that's great. Um, but we don't hear anything about his character really beforehand, and I feel like that through editing we could have changed that. And and again, I yeah. go back to pre-production and go back to the direction. The director could have hopefully done something different with that but i honestly don't know what dc had in mind or warners for that matter had in mind when they when they said yeah let's make this because it doesn't to me it doesn't fit it's like they wanted to try and make it fit with like we're talking about how the how, how it has got the bruce wayne uh, kind of character change but it just doesn't fit with anything else i mean if I don't know where you could have put this film. It comes between Batman versus Superman and Wonder Woman in the DCEU, I believe. Mm-hmm. That, it, I don't know where you could put this anywhere in that universe and have it make it build the universe. I think this is kind of a one-off. They didn't know that. They tried to pigeonhole it. Um, but, I mean, hey, they're getting a sequel. so. <laughs> slash soft
0: reboot yeah
1: yeah exactly (laughs) but
0: honestly i think it was um it's pretty interesting that despite how terrible this movie was this film is the most successful when it came to awards so far in this in this franchise this film and i'm gonna give you a quick little rundown man of steel as we covered in our first episode of this series won three awards batman v superman won five awards four of which were razzies suicide squad written and directed by david Ayer, won nine awards and we're gonna count them down right now um It won, and I'm going to start with the worst ones because I think it's hilarious. It won two awards at the Teen Choice Awards. for. (laughs) (laughs) You think that's funny? Listen to what the actual awards are. So it won most anticipated (laughs) movie. Oh,
1: man. So this is
0: an award that... They won before the movie even came out and most anticipated actress for Margot Roby as Harley Quinn. Wow. They two also... surfboards. Yep. Two surfboards. <laughs> those big surfboards. That's what it's about. That's what we're in this business for, right? Is it, is it still surfboards that I just date myself? Is that like a 2009 reference? I mean, I, 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 I believe it could have been surfboards in 2016. I'd have to go back and check. Um, they also won a People's Choice Award for Favorite Action Movie Actress for Margot Robbie. They won the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Award for Favorite Soundtrack. <sighs> That's right, they got the little orange blimp. Uh, they, w- they did win Best Period Slash Character Makeup at the Makeup and Hairstylist Guild Awards. They won Best Soundtrack Album at the Hollywood Music and Media Awards. And they also got Best Actress in an Action Movie for Margot Robbie, once again, for the Critics' Choice Awards. And in a stunning turn of events, Suicide Squad is the one and only DCEU movie to win an Oscar for makeup and hairstyling. The most prestigious film in the DCEU is, in fact, Suicide Squad. For winning, it won an Oscar. Which bothers me because Star Trek 3. Exactly. (laughs) Because Star Star
2: Trek 3 did so much great makeup work and deserved it so much more than that movie. Mm -hmm. I completely forgot that.
1: Somebody's fucking somebody. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Warner's has got somebody fucking somebody at the Academy for that. So I uh, I don't know. Will
2: Smith had to sign a whole bunch of crap. Yeah, well, right. I mean, he did talk go on
0: to do uh, to do uh, Aladdin after this. So I mean, he's selling his soul all over the place. But yes, Chris, yeah. talk about the numbers. I want to know about all, right. all the numbers that you've got prepared for
1: us. So there's a couple of them I want to talk about. The first, uh, let's do the money first. So the budget initially was 175. Now that's including your 22 million dollar reshoots. Okay, right? so we're at 175. Opening weekend. Again, we're just going to say it every week because it's a big deal. You kind of have to make your budget back opening weekend. A dollar more. They're doing well. They pulled in 133. Oof.
0: So Big oof. Yeah.
1: So we're looking at um, a lot of money. Almost 44 million. (laughs) So almost, yeah. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of money. Almost, you know, a third of what their initial budget was. But we'll come back to that. So in the U.S., it grossed three twenty five overall, so it, it did, and then worldwide, it got to seven forty five, which is more than uh, Man of Steel made by almost a hundred million dollars. That's crazy to me. Yeah, so money wise, it did okay. So I did a little math, Eric. When you're talking, so twenty two million reshoots. Their budget was one seventy five. So. Had they not had those reshoots, their budget would have been one hundred fifty-three. They grossed one hundred thirty-three, and that'd have been a twenty million dollar loss. But it's a little easier to swallow than a forty-four million dollar loss. Yeah. So, Chuck, That's bad pre-production. That's bad. That's that's somebody in Warner Brothers got fucking fired. And then, of course, we're, we're going to go to our our scores. So, Rotten Tomatoes, we have a twenty-six percent. A sixty percent audience score. So, just to recap, Man of Steel was fifty-five audience. BVS was twenty-seven. I didn't think it could get worse. It got worse. (laughs) Suicide Squad is twenty-six.
0: Only by one, but it matters. (laughs) Only
1: only by one. And in Metacritic, it was also uh, it's forty out of one hundred. So it looks like uh, it is also in Metacritic again. Batman v Superman was forty-four. Just to recap, mm-hmm. Suicide is 40. Wow. So That
0: really puts yeah. it into perspective how much this film crashed and burned when it was supposed to be like, this is our answer to 2014's Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy. And it just, it really didn't. It really didn't go out and achieve the thing that it was built to do. Um, as we kind of roll into the wrap-up for this, Andrew, any final thoughts on the film and what would your arbitrary geek-explained rating of it be out of 5 or out of 10 or out of however?
2: Um, out of 10, I'd probably give it like a 2. <laughs> like the thing is it's like like this movie this movie doesn't make me angry like Batman versus Superman did. Like there is like <laughs> a, a group of people trying to have fun here and like, you know, you you can't hate that. And Yeah, I'd probably give it like a two or a three like I or yeah like it, Again, like I said before it just it misses the mark on so many points and it really kind of bums me out because a really kind of fun and Dark te- story could have come from this and I think like David Ayer could really do a really, really fun Grounded superhero movie if given a better script that he wasn't in charge of like Suicide Squad works He could have obviously done a great Batman movie. I'd love to see him do like a green arrow or I'd love to see him do the question. I'd love to see him do uh, what's that military team that Spielberg's in charge of Blackhawks, Blackhawks. If they did like a like sort of of more like SEAL Team six Blackhawks, I think he would have made a great choice for that. So like there's so many pieces that could have worked really well. But
0: unfortunately, the end result and just was a catastrophe. And that's all I got. Yeah, absolutely agree, Chris. What are your final thoughts on the film, and what rating would you give it?
1: Oh, I would probably give it five out of ten. Okay, um, and and all those five would be carried by Margot and uh, Will. <laughs> I think, and you know what I mean. I I think that was it. And and you, it's it's funny. I really don't know. I want to talk about the writer director real quick because do. I think that looking at his the things that he's done, he. You're so right, Andrew. He's been such a gritty writer filmmaker, and to kind of pigeonhole him into this, which was neither gritty or, or, or visceral or real. It, I don't even think it ever wanted to be, which is the biggest problem in the beginning. You've got the wrong guy, you know he might have been great for something else, and a different director may have really done well with suicide squad, but I mean I'm looking at so Ayer did U571 he did training day. Um, which, by that the way, is incredible, day. right? S- uh, SWAT. Um, I enjoyed SWAT, Street Kings, End of Watch. We talked about this last week. Fury. Mm-hmm. Um, Bright. Bright is kind of like a. It's kind of of a fantastical. It's not a superhero. Bright's hit and miss. Fantastic. Ugh. Okay, <laughs> like, <wait>. <laughs> it, it, but right. But they're making a sequel. He got his, and he's the guy too, not somebody else. Um, the tax collector. Um, so so there are these things that he's had his hand in that are just do not, like, vibe up with what Suicide Squad was meant to be for me. So I think that was just on its most basic level, it was a miss. But, I mean, looking ahead to The Suicide Squad, just, you know, we talked about our favorite characters or the either the best characters in here being Will, Margot, uh, and, of course... Captain Boomerang! Captain Boomerang yes, who is coming back yes um margo is coming back unfortunately fucking joel kinnaman's coming back <laughs> I just so okay we, we've been seconds. alluding to it we've he, been alluding to I it just, the
0: whole time just, chris i you want know, you to go in on joel kinnaman what don't you like about his performance <laughs> what don't you like well, about him as a person speak to joel we know he, he, we know he listens to this podcast so just speak to him yeah. on a human to human
1: you are an incredibly handsome man, but I would find a dialogue coach and I will just move them into your house, make them breakfast and just go over lines. That's all I would do for like five hours a day. <laughs> and it just, and I think that's the biggest thing because I saw Robocop and you know, I, I've seen anyway, it anyway, doesn't matter. I just did not like him as Rick flag. And you know, I'm excited about Idris Elba. I love Idris Elba. Yes. He's in suicide. Um, so for me, it looks like hopefully they'll really focus their attention, and you guys could speak on this better than I could. James Gunn did a masterful job, from what my understanding is, of Guardians just seen as a film and not bringing in the comic element to it. Um, but yeah, I mean James Gunn, he's he's writing it, he's directing it, and um, you know they kind of get a soft redo. You know, if there ever was one, they're getting one. Absolutely,
0: so. and they're they're they've kind of established that this is both going to be like a. S- sequel slash soft reboot that's why it's the suicide squad not suicide squad 2 there that's important um for (laughs) me it's just i'm i'm really excited to see what they do with that i think bringing in like a heavy hitter like idris elba feels similar to the feeling that they were like oh they got will smith for this oh okay have they said what his role is have they said so the rumor the rumor right now is that he's going to be playing Vigilante. I would prefer him to play Bronze Tiger because I think he is tailor-made for that role. I mean, personally, I'd rather he play Jon Stewart Green Lantern, but in this realm he has, you know, I would much rather him play Bronze Tiger because Bronze Tiger is basically Batman. But, kind of cooler. Um, he's he's a fantastic (laughs) character and I think he would bring a lot that Vigilante would just almost feel like a Deadshot retread. But, for this film, for this specific film, for uh, Suicide Squad 2016, um, it's just, we all talked about it, you guys put it so well, that this film really just missed the bar at a fundamental level. They have really had all of the tools to make a bike, and they just ended up making a unicycle that fell apart after two <laughs> feet. It just, it doesn't work. The performances are really handicapped by a really, as we talked about a really rushed and not very good script um the cinematography is gorgeous but it's completely undercut by choppy editing just sloppy character motivations and it just overall it's not a good representation of these characters or really of these actors and i i think it's unfortunate because these characters um are able to be uh really good if utilized well and that's what you know fingers crossed james gunn will be doing with his suicide squad that's going to come out at some point in the next two years depending on COVID and all that stuff um for me i think when it comes to kind of taking it all into account all of the terrible production that came into this um the viewing experience really choppy dialogue the nonsensical motivations and the plot that just is carried along on the melody of the soundtrack. Um, I would have to put all of that aside and give it a ten out of ten for Captain Boomerang because this film <laughs> has what other films don't have: Captain Boomerang forever. No, but seriously, I would probably, I would probably give this like in kind of the same vein as you guys, four out of ten for me. Um, I enjoyed watching this a lot more than I did Batman v Superman probably because there's an entire hour less of the film (laughs) but um i just you know it's and i i remember um the night i finished watching this was kind of the same night that uh chris was watching it um the film isn't as bad as i remember it being but in that same breath it's not nearly as fun as i remember it being on a repeat viewing And I think that's unfortunate. It really is. Um, Thankfully, as we carry along into the uh, next installment of this Geeksplained Extra series, we are finally coming to a good movie. We're (laughs) finally coming to the best DCEU movie so far, in my humble opinion. And that is next episode's focus, which is 2017's Wonder Woman. So stay tuned for that. Uh, But for now... For Geeksplain, this is Eric Kazana. Andrew Kincaid.
1: And Chris Carter.
0: And we will see you next time. Come together. Right now. Come together. Right now. Come
1: together. Right now. now. Over me. Fucking Joel Kinnaman.